You're listening to The A-Game, an adcom podcast chronicling the week in media, technology, and agency life, featuring Joel Hammond, Jim Ganser, and Jeff Culleton. Welcome back to The A-Game. It's been a while, guys. Thanksgiving break. Thanksgiving break has come and gone. Uh, Black Friday has come and gone. Oh, by the way, my name's Jim Ganser. I'm VP of Media and Acquisition at the Adcom Group here in lovely Cleveland, Ohio. Beautiful. And who am I joined with today? Uh, Mr. Joel Hammond, our fearless leader of social media here at Adcom. Hello, Jim. As well as uh, Jeffrey Culleton. There you are. Hello, sir. Oh, Jim, can I tell you something? I missed you. Oh, I missed you too. Yes, we haven't. I missed you too. Uh, For those that are new, Jeff brings the heat with regard to digital strategy here. I do bring the heat. So here's how it works. We get together. Uh, we kind of scan the headlines. Pardon me. We, we identify things that are relevant to our clients, to our peers, to our friends, things that are interesting to bring up during, you know, casual conversation around the water cooler. If your water cooler happens to be in a marketing department. If it's in a marketing department. But ours is, so I guess from yeah. a context standpoint, that's why I'm a little bit, you know. Uh, You're heavily weighted that direction. Yeah, I'm heavily weighted in that okay. direction. Very much so. Duly noted. Uh, but, but before we get into the show, I just wanted to shoot a quick reminder about how you can follow the Adcom Group. So, uh, well, I should probably let Joel do that since he's our social guy. What do you think, Joel? Well, yeah, you can do that on uh, any platform of your choosing, actually. On Instagram, our, our senior executive vice president slash producer, Mike Pauks, uh, does a great job on our Instagram account of painting the picture of the Adcom Group. And then follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn where we uh, uh, send out some aggregated content and a little bit of... Uh, original work about our, our take on certain topics, and then uh, give us a like on Facebook, too. Hey, you know where you can find this podcast? Where, Jeff? Huh. You can find it in SoundCloud. You can find it in Stitcher, and you can find it on iTunes. Perfect. Yeah, and while you look for us, and by the way, you, you've already found us, but here, make here. sure you go out and, and rate and review the program. Five stars, five stars, make it happen. Help but us only out. do it if you mean it. Yeah. And I, and I mean that genuinely. Only do it if you mean it. Well. No, I'm, I'm coming with Joel on this one. Yeah. You know, even if it's an empty gesture, you might connect somebody else <laughs> to the it. First, first handful to be really The only reason you gestures. should rate us as five stars yeah. is because you can't give us six. Yeah, I know. I that's That was my struggle for a while. Who's the football I, coach who said that one time? The only reason I went for two is because I couldn't go for three. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but that's a great line. A, a great line. That. Agreed. Was that Greg Popovich? No. No. One no. pop. No. He's, he's a big fan of the three-point shot. Oh, but that's man. another Not show. Not this week. Uh, That's our basketball hot take podcast. Yeah. (laughs) So, guys, it's been a while since we've gotten together. You know, typically we we jump in and we we pick one topic and we tackle it and we look at it from all three sides. But given the fact that it's been a couple of weeks since we've been together and there's been a lot that we've been following, I thought we'd take a little bit of a different format this week and we can talk a little bit about what are the things that we're following closely, what are the things that have kind of popped for us over the past week and, and prior uh, that has given us some thought with regard to marketing. And um, this week, I'm going to pass the ball first over to Jeff. Uh, mm. Jeff, what have, you been, Sports ball. what have you been looking at? So there's something percolating for me that's very interesting. It's been happening for, for quite a while, but there was an instance this week. Simmering. That'll, that'll be, it's simmering, yeah. So it's a low boil yeah. um, that I, th- I think is just going to be the tip of the iceberg for the continuation of the disruption that we're seeing throughout markets uh, across the United States. This isn't as, mar- as much 
marketing related as it is brand related, but I get to, in my position, I end up having conversations with a lot of executive leadership. Where are things going? Um, you know, what are the things that are going to be driving business moving forward? What are the things that they see as, you know, as their risk factors and blind spots and so on and so forth? And earlier uh, this year, I had a handful of really interesting conversations around uh, the Amazon acquisition of Whole Foods. Hmm. And the Amazon acquisition of Whole Foods really spooked people that have nothing to do with retail and have nothing to do with grocery. And I think a lot of executive leadership looked at that acquisition because that was not a very well-publicized buildup. It just kind of happened. And all of a sudden, there was a lot of conversation, you know, manufacturing companies or logistics companies, wherever, where people were like, wait a second, let's talk through why, why are they doing this? And then you start to get to, you know, you know, they have the distribution channels and grocery is a natural next step. And they basically deal in convenience. They deal in two things. They deal in convenience and data. And those two things, this, the, you know, the tips of spears that, that they send that out into the world is consumer products. And so where they're really good is they're really good in convenience and data. And so grocery, which is a weekly event for most people, uh, it was a natural next evolution. But people who, who aren't watching the market all the time looked at it and were like, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is an, a, 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 a seismic jump from a company that, yeah, I know and love and I use and the boxes are on my door every day. Why are they mm-hmm. going this route? So that was um, – that conversation I think started in earnest earlier this year. And then it popped up again this week uh, in a handful of conversations that I had uh, around the General Motors restructuring – and, you know, I'll leave to the side what that, you know, the kind of the impact that that has. Um, but why? Why, you know, why are they restructuring in the fashion that they are? And then two offshoot stories that kind of came around that. So General Motors is restructuring, cutting 50% of their, 15% of their white collar workforce, shutting down some plants. It's, this is all in an effort to reposition themselves, not as just an automotive company, but as a mobility company. Mm-hmm. So transportation in general, how are people of the future going to move? How are they going to own uh, transportation or share or rent transportation. And they know that, you know, the, the, the car with the internal combustion engine, the way their plants are fit right now is going away. It's not going to go away tomorrow. It's not like there aren't going to be classic cars on the road in 50 years. All that's going to exist. But the vast majority of people are going to start changing the way they, they, they transport themselves. And if you think in the, the guys that, uh, I, I, this is, I'm kind of fabricating this number, but a lot of people spend four or five, a thousand dollars a month on gas and insurance in their car and all this stuff. it's a big expenditure and it's an expenditure that's ripe for disruption and the second piece of this was a really interesting story around volkswagen and ford looking at a partnership feeling that their uh, position on autonomous driving vehicles and mobility was lagging behind the people who are really um really making it in the market right now and knowing that that's the way that things are going, they're starting to look at strategic partnerships that are much deeper than just like, hey, we share an engine here and there. Like, how do we how do we work together as, as an organization? And then, which I think is the most interesting, is the disruptor of this particular group, which is Tesla. And Tesla, uh, so Elon Musk has obviously been a lot of sorts lately, but that they came before they, they figured out their Model 3 production uh, issues, they came weeks away from being insolvent. And that's not going to happen. There's too many people out there that believe in the, the product. But 
they they did that and then they full pivoted in like a two or three week span to showing a profitable quarter, which is just insanity. So they got, I'm sure it's very difficult to produce these vehicles. I'm not going to try and minimize that. But once they figured out how do we do it, how do we get them on the road, which in Cleveland, I'm starting to see more and more Model 3s. You see the S's, you see the X's, but I'm starting to see their, their higher volume ones. And what this all centers around is what is the disruption in the market right now? I think we, we had plateaued for a little bit. I think we're about to see a major spike. I think you're about to see a lot of market disruption. Home prices have leveled off and are probably going to go down a little bit. Interest rates have crept up a little bit. Um, houses aren't selling with quite the same frequency. And now you've got a major, major employer in the United States starting to shake a little bit. So, or vertical of employment in the United States. So, so is the lesson is the lesson that no matter where you are, that disruption's coming for you. That's you want to tie it back to marketing. I'm working on an RFP today where that is the premise. Mm-hmm. This is a it's a company that's seen a lot of growth over the last five six years, and uh, they've done it through acquisition. But they're a more traditional physical product that they build. And they're looking and going in conversations that we've had. We understand that a B2B consumer and a B2C consumer are not different. You don't market to them differently. Because that B2B buyer of a physical product, when he goes home or she goes home, she still uses Amazon. She still uses Uber. She still uses whatever these user experiences are that are best in class. So you can't like, oh, you know, we're B2B and we're kind of a more traditional industry. No, you get, you get a handful of opportunities with anybody now. And if you, the, the, the table stakes are thoughtfulness. If you're not building your digital presence to be thoughtful, so going and thinking a step ahead, two step ahead, think about, you know, you've bought something from, you know, Warby Parker or wherever, an online retailer before, and you go back to buy another thing and they're, you know, your information doesn't auto-populate. you got to put it all back in again. It's annoying. That level of thoughtfulness is starting to become deal breakers. And the th- I, I think it's, you know, that's putting a pretty base level on the disruption of all these industries. But, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think if, if you think you got it nailed right now, then you're the one who's probably next. Because <laughs> everybody in the market right now, who I see that's doing really well is doing re- doing really well because they're scrambling, yeah, and they're trying new stuff and they're and they're being more thoughtful and more convenient. Yeah, if you can't spot the sucker at the table, then you're probably the sucker. Right. Yeah, it's just interesting now, though. I think we've you know marketing has been under you know digital marketing specifically it's been massive upheaval for the last 15 years. Things have changed so rapidly from web development to SEO to paid everything. Um, I, th- yeah, I think we're, we're just at a spot here where we're about to see things get real weird, which is going to be tough for some companies, and they're going to pull back on marketing spend because that's where you pull back first. And I think we're going to see other companies just jam on the gas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's really interesting when we start to think about the GMs of the world because when you're starting to move away from um, – the traditional way you're operating, frankly, what they're doing is they're moving more towards, in the short term, getting out in front of production on specific types of vehicles that have higher um, potential. Mm -hmm. We've gone from, you know, large vehicles down to small, fuel efficient. Now we're starting to work our way back up to large. Look at Ford. Yeah. Ford discontinued sedans, basically, in the United States. Exactly. And and the F-150 is like their flagship product now. Mm -hmm. 
And as these car companies start to move more towards autonomous vehicles, we are not going to be the market for those first and foremost. It's going to become more of a uh, mass purchase. It's going to be more of a B2B in a lot of cases. So all that money that is coming from built Ford Tough that's going to the NFL, that's going to all these other places, it's going to be a major disruptor um, over the next couple of years when we start looking at advertising spend and the different ways that that's going down. So I think that's really interesting. Um, it's it's really depressing, too, because there's a lot of good people losing their jobs. That's 100%. And to be very thoughtful of that, not to overuse the word thoughtful at the moment, but yes, in the lens of marketing, um, you know, I'm always I'm always a big fan of upheaval because most people get real nervous and they hunker down and they don't do anything. And I think that's the exact time where you start hammering on new stuff and then you differentiate yourself. And I think we're coming into a period in 2019 and 2020 of that. You know, we're we're we've we've leveled out on people's you know, mass adoption and understanding of the social networks that now push so much of our personalized content. Uh, the next thing is coming. What that's going to be, you know, to be determined. But I think it's not a marketing thing as much as it is a, a, a restructuring of the business landscape. Yeah. Joel, what have you been looking into? Good luck, Joel. I know. Yeah. <laughs> you follow that masterpiece up. <laughs> so we're a week removed, of course, from Black Friday, but it struck me... Um, you know, the, the, the premise of Black Friday was essentially like, we're going to offer you a, pro, a, a product that is so is priced so low, you have to come into the store. You cannot miss this deal. So then you're going to come into the store and you're going to grab X, Y, Z, A, B, C, D on your way through, yeah. and we're going to make some money. All of a sudden, as I uh, uh, dealt with a sick child and couldn't go out for Black Friday, I'm sitting in my living room getting the same deals on my laptop for products that I wanted that that were on my list uh, for Christmas, for just around the house, frankly, whatever, um, getting the same prices, getting free shipping, don't have to go to the store. You didn't have to fight a stranger. <laughs> exactly. You can fight your own family don't have to rain holidays. blows down yeah. upon anybody at Home Depot on uh, <laughs> Friday morning at 6 a.m. But So what's what does this mean for the future of brick and mortar? Jeff just brought up a, 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 an industry that's being disrupted. So what happens to the massive plant along the turnpike um, in Lordstown when uh, and it doesn't fire back up, right? Right? What happens to that plant? What happens to these brick-and-mortar stores when, you know, this was really, frankly, the last bastion to get people to the stores, you know? Mm -hmm. One of the last bastions to get people come to the store. We're offering you things that you just cannot turn down. Um, but, again, I'm, 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 tar I'm marketed and targeted so well that I know exactly what I can get from my smartphone. I'm reading a CNBC story that, not only can I, uh, I'm just reading some numbers here. Uh, online sales jumped 24%, uh, two, two billion in sales stemming from smartphones. Not only can I get them from my home and not have to go to the store, I can get them from my phone. I'm trying to find. So what happens to, uh, it's just, this is this is loosely related to, to, to our business. And uh, I'm fascinated by how retailers can, can get to you and, and uh, you know, had a lot of, lot of good, a lot of bad. Uh, I'm targeting on Black Friday and Cyber Money and all that. but. I was reading a, a good, really good article before we came on here, uh, and it was Jeff Bezos had just spoken to the Amazon, you know, team as much as you can. They have 550 or 541,000 employees now, um, but basically saying anybody th who here thinks we're too big to fail, 
is exactly what GM would have thought 50 years ago mm-hmm. when you build a plant like Lordstown. He said, we are absolutely not too big to fail, and in all likelihood, we will go bankrupt someday. Act accordingly. Mm-hmm. And that's just like you sit in the heyday of them right now, and you're just like, that's a dude who gets it because he knows that this stuff is fleeting. And for every Sears that makes it 100 years before they go under, something's coming for you. And you might now be in the golden age of disruption from startups. Disruption from, you have mass tools that can replicate, you know, people in geography. You might be in the, in, where the, 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 the speed of disruption from a startup to a company. So Amazon, it was 25 years. 25 years, Bezos' parents gave him a uh, $250,000 loan. And then, you know, now they're roughly valued at around $700, $800 billion, something like that. That was 25 years. With that, like, or going back from, you know, when GM and Ford started, it took them however long to reach those. You're probably looking at a, you know, company that starts this year could potentially do that in 10 or 15. That's amazing. Yeah, it's really interesting. Uh, And I think a lot of what we've talked about up to this point, even though it seems like different topics for the most part, uh, a lot of it is when it comes to success and failure in business, if you get caught looking backward, you're putting yourself in a in a really big bind for the most part. You might look at what GM's doing right now and say, I just don't I don't get it. People are losing their jobs. The fact of the matter is they've identified deep down somewhere within their boardrooms an opportunity and a reality. And and sometimes it sounds grim, but sometimes you need to cut back and take a step backward in order to move forward. And, and you see it with retail, too. And you know who's not really down on the whole Black Friday sales from a brick-and-mortar perspective? Walmart. Because the more stores that close down, the more people to show up to their store. It'll be interesting to start seeing the, the Targets and the Walmarts. What were their numbers uh, over the past week? Um, but they're all hard-charging towards e-commerce as well. But mm-hmm. the fact of the matter is, and, and Jeff brought it up earlier, it's all about convenience, for consumers, it is easier than ever. The fact that there are so many people making purchases on their smartphones on Black Friday, it, it not only speaks to e-commerce, it speaks to the level of friction that's been removed in trying to get um, out in front of new products and services. The one, I want to add one thing. So I was talking to somebody, that, that uh, a brand that a couple of weeks ago that has done this. I think we're, we're most familiar with R&D as an expense around product. Um, you know, we R&D and then bring out a new product. We R&D and, and make a, you know, a new fabric or whatever the case is, and we take it to market, we test it, and so on and so forth. I was talking to somebody last week, and you know, this isn't unique per se, but I love the way they put it, was we have now fought and won internally with our executive team an R&D budget for consumer experience, not just for product. Because we know that the way that people get to us or get stuff from us is going to change just as fast or not faster than the products that we make. And that we have to be going into each year, yes, doing the things that we know drive business, but then taking you know, a 15% stake of budget and just trying different stuff. And I think that's amazing. Mm-hmm. What do you got, Jim? Yeah, I've, oddly enough, 
to kind of round out our, our conversations. And while we do share stories, until we start getting into the form of talking through them, um, you don't always have the, the direct connection. One of the things that I was looking at, and it kind of goes back into the conversation about removing friction, but this is kind of a, a tale of removing friction to the detriment of a brand. Uh, and this goes back to Amazon once again. Uh, there, there was an article just a couple days ago uh, in Wall Street Journal about the fact that Amazon had been testing out a new ad format that actually puts sponsored ads into baby registries. Hmm. So, and I don't know if you've seen these sponsored ads on Amazon. Oftentimes, sponsored ads are hard to determine, you know, if it's a, an ad or not. Um, some sites go out of their way to make it known that this is a sponsored ad. On Amazon, it's really difficult to tell. And the thing that's really, you know, a, and I don't necessarily want to qualify it as being deceitful or not, but the whole context of purchasing on a registry, there's, there's a step removed because the person that's actually buying is just happy that they don't really have to think about anything. They're like, <laughs> okay, it, this is a pre-qualified list. I mean, I don't know, this might be um, reverse sexist, but I think guys really appreciate a registry because oftentimes we have a very difficult time coming up with a thoughtful gift. Yeah, so, I choose wrong. Yeah, choose wrong. But they're starting to dynamically insert specific products into these registries. And it looks like somebody said, hey, I need this. Mm. So you're trying to do the right thing for a friend or loved one or a family member. Um, not mutually exclusive, by the way. You could have all three. <laughs> and um, thankfully, I do in many ways. Good shout out. Yeah, good shout out. You know who you are. Um, There's four of you. But it, it gets into this, this situation around brand safety. And, and while it doesn't feel like it's an unsafe situation, sometimes people in our position on the marketing side, either in an agency or at a brand, kind of get into these situations where we become so fixated on hitting a number that we, we start to forget the fact that there's a human being on the other end. And I think there's a delicate balance that you need to take in marketing to put yourself in a position to come off the right way with your brand. And rather than just looking at KPIs or ROI, you need to really think about uh, creating a meaningful relationship. And, and we oftentimes at AdCom talk about creating meaningful relationships for great brands with, with an audience. Mm -hmm. and, and that really needs to be your filter for consideration because we've got companies like Kimberly Clark, Johnson & Johnson that say, hey, this sounds like a great deal. And then you've got somebody like an Amazon saying, we can turn this inventory over to you for a pretty penny. And we're talking about half a million dollars on a quarterly basis to be dynamically inserted into these registries. Wow. So, but can you really fault Amazon in this situation? Ultimately, it's got to come down to a brand saying, you know, at, at what cost is it going to take for me to potentially hit my numbers? Um, do we feel like our products aren't good enough with Huggies diapers right. to potentially hit our numbers already? So I think it's, it's kind of like a buyer beware situation from a brand to say, you know, at some point you can't really blame Amazon. You got to take a step back. And, and frankly, Amazon's got every right to test out new products. Sure. On their site. Absolutely. 
but brands need to be mindful of you know what are they buying and what's what's the context for it so i thought that was a pretty interesting story to get into you guys have any thoughts on that yeah for you mentioned johnson and johnson to me johnson and johnson has to weigh that risk risk reward like is it worth it for me to insert myself this far into this registry or, or is my or is my brand equity good enough that i don't that i don't need this you know there i think jim mentioned it there's a there's a there's a line that um, that these brands have to weigh. I think it's a great example of, you know, maybe it's it, maybe Johnson Johnson is is an example where their their brand is strong enough to to not have to make that decision. That they're that they're fine if it's a brand that maybe isn't quite as uh, prominent as, as that um, in that in that space. Maybe the risk is worth the the potential reward. You get you get into this is an interesting conversation. You get into a situation where th- then parse them out public and private. <clears throat> You're your your private brand. You're, I'll use Patagonia because everybody uses them for everything. And you know you take your ten million dollars that you got from your tax breaks, but you fundamentally disagree with the administration who gave them to you. And then you donate that money back out. That happens in a private brand, in a public company where you have a fiduciary responsibility to increase shareholder value. A company like Johnson and Johnson to increase shareholder value, that becomes a much, much different target because your goals as an executive are tied to, as the highest level executives, are tied to I created shareholder value, which means I sold more. How about how That's about all it means. Tom's came out this week, right? Yeah. Similar to the Pedagon example, right? So they don't have to answer. I don't, they're nope. not. Nope, yeah. owned by a guy. Absolutely. So they're... They can do whatever they want with their mm-hmm. with the money they raise, and and this week they rolled out a um, a campaign to help us end what was it end, gun end, violence yeah end end gun end violence gun control measures yeah and, email your uh, your your representative or mm-hmm. something like that they can do whatever they want where Procter and Gamble is probably not going to do that and this to be perfectly honest Major League Baseball <laughs> good example this week where they got in, in trouble with. Um, a PAC donation to a Mississippi uh, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, governor or something, like the governor candidate that that uh, made some made some terrible remarks. Look at the NBA, completely other side of the spectrum, yep. private entity. Sure, first league as Adam Silver is just like the man. First league to sign a gambling agreement because sports betting is going to be the biggest driver of change in sports that we've seen. Yep. and sadly enough, it's going to be a way bigger driver. In the NFL, when that finally happens, then CTE or any of the other things that we've seen, you know, flag or uh, protests and things of that nature, sports betting will be a bigger either raise or uh, raise or lower of revenue than anything. Yeah, I mentioned MLB. MLB obviously is not a it's not a public company, but it is kind of. You know, they don't they don't have shareholders, but they have. Correct. Millions and millions of, yeah. of fans who basically act like shareholders, mm-hmm. right? So, um, sorry. The difference is in, in, in a, the difference is fiduciary responsibility. You could go to jail with if sure. if you if you pervert your fiduciary responsibility. Private companies do not have the same level. They have a responsibility to an entity, an owner, a person. Yeah. Um, and your goals are built. You, you have it's much harder time because people people fundamentally don't care what you do if it net benefits them. So in a public company, they look and they're like, oh, you know, I'm I have Amazon stock, and yeah, these ads are creepy, but 
them being creepy, going up. my stock price keeps going up, my retirement looks better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When it has a direct personal correlation, people get, people get very, very shaky on the old memory. <laughs> yeah, it, the thing that I keep going back to is, and, and these are all great points, but for a lot of our, our listening audience out there, uh, which there are a tremendous amount of people Cornucopia. listening right now. Mm. So you're not alone out there. And you're welcome. Um, <laughs> a lot of a lot of the folks that are in our positions are not dealing with Fortune 500 companies. They're not dealing with major public companies. There's there is a ton of small to mid-sized companies out there that are dealing with with privates. And that sounded terrible, by the way. <laughs> I apologize if my mother's listening. It, don't take it the wrong way. Morgan's mother. <laughs> Morgan's mother is definitely missing or listening. She's not missing. I hope she's not missing. Or sputtering to the finish. Be safe. Run out of gas. <laughs> Running out of gas. And I'm losing my train of thought now. Uh, <laughs> oh, anyway. Morgan, remember, Morgan five stars. Five Morgan stars. Please text Morgan immediately yeah. just so we know you're okay. Send up oh a flare, God. please. It's, please. <laughs> please, for the love of Light God. Light a flare. Let us know where you are. Yeah, and throw... <laughs> Throw a life jacket while you're at it because I'm sinking. Um, <laughs> but I think it really just goes back to the point of even even in a, a marketing firm like ours, you always have an opportunity to choose wisely with regard to those that you want to partner with. And for some businesses, relationships matter. Um, I know it sounds silly, but a lot of large companies just kind of churn and burn with regard to agency partners. And in, in some ways... Certain companies are beholden to shareholders, um, and their system of incentives works differently than private companies. So it's just important that you have a level of trust with the people that you've selected to work within your organization and work with your organization to achieve your goals and be really um, focused and steadfast and, and think about your, your, uh, your brand values, make sure that they match up with those that you're working with, and, and really try to create a win-win with consumers for the most part, because the last thing you want to do is make somebody feel like they've been tricked. And um, to, to put yourself in a position where you're trying to intercept a, a gift giver, that, that's, that's a little, I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm getting into the opinion space now. I love um, your opinions. Yeah, but it just it seems a little bit off to me. But uh, just I thought it was a good lesson for brands to think about, take a step back, take a deep breath before you're just thinking about those numbers that you need to hit. And make sure that you're hitting them the right way and setting yourself up for future numbers by doing the right things. The more you know. And bum, 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 bum. There you go. Hey, find us on uh, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook at the Adcom Group. And or Jeff, you could find the us podcast? on Stitcher, SoundCloud, and iTunes. Yeah. Got to write those down. Mm. Yep. Once again, I'd like to thank Joel and Jeff for a very nice conversation i enjoyed it very much we're we're counting down to the end of the year guys so get ready with your uh your top 10 lists of uh, your favorite podcasts um done by the a game i'm i'm throwing in episode three so feel free to go back into the archive (laughs) tell us all about it on our social channels until next time we're signing off the a game feels good to be back thank you